welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eric, and I want to start our podcast today by sharing a question that came in from one of our podcast listeners. And uh, we want to encourage you, if you are listening to the podcast and there's a topic you would like us to discuss, uh, please uh, share it with us by email or comment uh, on one of our, either our Facebook or on uh, one of the links through the podcast uh, services. So here's the question. Uh, please consider discussing the topic of evangelism or outreach within the Messianic community. What exactly is evangelism? I don't believe the Messianic faith group has done a good job of evangelism and outreach. I think we do a lot of study, and that's great, but maybe I'm wrong. But it seems like Christians are more vocal or open, and I've not seen any Messianics out street preaching. Uh, where are the Messianic believers, believers and leaders when it comes to making our voices heard? Do we encourage Messianic believers to go to school board meetings, to see council meetings, to state and local political events, and speak out for Yeshua against evil? And how can we do a better job of this? So, so that's a question. And there's a bunch of different aspects to that. Um, and so we're going to delve into that. But I want to start by saying I agree that the Messianic movement in the United States has not done a great job of outreach in the uh, in our communities. So I want to. This is Rabbi David. I want to dive into this for a sec because this is actually a, a conversation I've had recently. Um, and in fact, we were just talking about this uh, to some degree in our membership class this past uh, Saturday at CMC. Um, and I, I, I agree one hundred percent. That I have a question, a clarifying question: Is this evangelism to Jewish people? I, I think in general. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just want we'll, to. Yeah. For the, for the sake of at least this moment, we'll say in general. But okay, yes. Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. Uh, I mean, as a Messianic Jewish movement, evangelism to the Jewish community is a primary objective. Like, there's no doubt about it. So any conversation dealing with evangelism from a Messianic Jewish perspective has to include a primary objective of reaching the Jewish community. Uh, but I think in, in the spectrum of what we're dealing with at the moment, we'll just say kind of broad broad paint stroke. Okay. Um, but so I, I was just talking about this recently in our own membership class at, at Maim Chaim, is that uh, growing up in the Messianic Jewish movement, um, I always found it funny that uh, the majority of our quote unquote outreach efforts were i I remember uh and and this is i 'm going to pick on my my dad here for a moment. I remember when I was uh in in middle and high school uh and I was on our synagogue 's uh, quote unquote outreach team. And our outreach team was who we sent to churches to do Passover seders at churches and things like that. It wasn't like we actually went out to the community or out to fairs or whatever and did. We went to churches and, and we talked to people that already believed about Yeshua. But aside from that, um, I always found it funny that for the most part, growing up in the Messianic Jewish movement, the primary kind of quote unquote outreach or evangelism efforts that we made were focused around 
uh, free seats, no tickets necessary for the High Holy Days, uh, because in traditional synagogues, you got to make sure your dues are up to date and that you pay for your tickets for your seats for the High Holy Days and so on. But in a Messianic synagogue, our seats are free. And anybody, you can't get a ticket at your synagogue, come to ours. It'll be okay. Uh, and then the other one was free tickets to our annual Passover Seder to non-believing Jewish people. And those were the primary outreach uh, and evangelism efforts that as a congregation, I remember uh, us doing. And I always thought, you know, this is kind of funny because especially now where our congregations are located in uh, Britam is in Pensacola, Florida, and Mayim Chaim is in Daphne, Alabama, where we're located at on the Gulf Coast, the Jewish community as a whole is highly inactive on the religious side of Judaism. And so the reality is is that any sort of outreach or evangelism uh, to the Jewish community uh, or, or that we are targeting towards the Jewish community that is focused on the religious side of Judaism, such as the High Holy Days and Pesach or Passover – really aren't going to draw the attention that it should. So like in our congregation, not that we've figured it all out yet because we're still reevaluating over and over again how to do things, but in our congregation, we've started to shift some of that perspective towards cultural Jewish experiences uh, and and dealing with trying to reach the Jewish community towards cultural Jewish experiences, um, such as Hanukkah and doing a giant public menorah lighting and we're developing concepts for Purim and things like that. Um, as for... Uh, I, and I think, and this is just to tie into the question that was actually posed. I'm, I'm curious where the the um, concept flows into our environment with the the um, like the political realm and stuff. How does I, I think in the body of Messiah, especially in the kind of evangelical slant of the body of Messiah in America today, we've somehow convoluted evangelism and Bible together with yeah, politics I, I think, in a lot I, of I ways. I think I understand where they're coming from, the person that, that wrote the uh, the post, but I think it's actually two separate questions. I think one question is outreach and evangelism. I think the other question is uh, making our voices known in our culture and our society as it deals with both politics, school board issues, as far as educational issues, uh, community activities, things like that. And both are important. I think in this particular podcast, we'll talk mostly about the outreach aspect of that, and maybe we'll do another podcast should messianics or should believers be involved in political in the political realm and should our voices be heard and how should that be but but let's talk about that on another episode i do want to say that while you're absolutely accurate in your statement david about um the outreach tools of our congregation when you grew up uh, still today, even among the non-religious Jewish people, some seventy percent do some kind of a Passover seder. Yeah, yeah. So, so that does have an but, aspect of. of but they'll active. do that. But they'll do that because it's family time, right? And they'll do it at home. What I'm getting at right. is, like, we have this expectation that if we just throw out Jewish words, that the Jewish community oh, will come to our absolutely. Stuff. And I think, and it doesn't work that way. And, and I wanted to say that the reason I, when I started by saying in the United States, yeah. these things is because. The organizations that were a part of the MJAA, the UMJC, these other organizations, Ahavada Me, these other organizations uh, that are messianic have very active evangelistic yeah. and outreach 
things outside of the United mm-hmm. States. Uh, you know, you think about Jonathan Burnus doing yep. his events in the former Soviet Union and in Central and South America uh, and in Cuba and other places. You think about Havada Me going out to uh, all the different countries they go to. We we think about Jonathan Burnus going and doing medical outreaches in Africa and India. And we, when we really, when we talk about it, if we have, for instance, the Messiah Conference or the MJA conferences around, they'll talk about their outreach to Israel and the the money that's going to uh, to spread the good news in Israel. And and it's one of the things that I've often uh, voiced my opinion about. While I do, and we absolutely in our congregation supports Israel financially you support these ministries in Israel support an orphanage in Africa we support lots of different things that we do almost half of the Jews in the world still live in the United States you know the, the Israel just passed the mark of having more than half of the Jews in the world in, in Israel but there's there's communities in other nations but there's six million or so Jewish people in the United States and we spend a lot of time and energy doing actual fundamental outreach evangelistic activities Outside where we're supporting the them other places yeah. but we don't for instance the mjaa will raise money for the joseph project in israel they'll raise money for uh different projects in ethiopia they'll raise money for different things that we do to reach jewish people in israel which are wonderful and we should do that but they don't have at the same time a offering yeah. that's taken up at the conference to do an outreach in the United States yeah. to do something that that now we do fundraising in the United States for messianic things, but we don't actually do a lot of outreach. Now I will say that that our congregation has uh, done things. For instance, we do uh, homeless ministry where we're actually feeding the homeless in our community. Uh, not just outreach to Jews, but outreach to everybody with the love of Messiah. Mm-hmm. We had a singing group uh, that would go out. We called it Praise in the Park that would just go out and sing songs at one of the downtown parks and, and built up a, a outreach through that. Uh, that we, we don't do near enough. Please don't, don't get me wrong. I, there's a lot more, and we actually spoke about this last Shabbat as we talked about uh, Lechacha, the, the parsha where God called Abraham to go out and do yeah. something. Yeah. And so we want to do more. And, and the person that wrote this email suggesting this topic is absolutely right. We don't do yeah. enough in the United States. We don't do enough in Pensacola. We don't do enough in Daphne. We're, we're reaching out and thinking and trying to come up with ideas. So so I think part of this podcast, let's admit first we don't do enough. Yeah. Let's admit that we do a lot more evangelistic or outreach or things outside the United States that the Messianic community largely funds outreach to Severely people somewhere right? else. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and jump in, and maybe Toby or Jonathan – uh, can gun, jump in with ideas. Okay, now that we know we're not doing that, now that we admit we're not, what are some things we can do uh, to reach out not only to Jewish people but to non-Jewish people, but as Messianics? So we we don't want to step out of who we are, uh, but let's do that because there are, for instance, Jews for Jesus that does uh, evangelistic so outreach. There's Chosen Peoples that does evangelistic outreach in the United States, but those are missional organizations that are part of the Messianic Jewish movement, but they're not the congregational part in the United States. Like, uh, So what, as a congregation in the United States, can we do that's a, a actual outreach? Let me, 
let me ask. Let's let's actually break that up into two things. Number one, uh, what exactly is our perspective on what evangelism and or outreach is? And number two, is it the congregation, the local congregation's responsibility to do evangelism? Uh, and 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 I've got a reason for the second question, so we can dive into that one okay. and, and go forward. But uh, let's let's start with the discussion of what is evangelism or outreach, uh, and and what does that look like? How does that how is that lived out? What are your thoughts on it? I have conflicting thoughts. Well, just because of my background, like yeah, yeah. I, you know, I come from a largely Protestant, you know, right. evangelical background, um, and evangelism in that light is largely portrayed as. Uh, you're on street corners uh, with signs. Um, if you're more in, the, if you're more extreme, you're yelling on street corners <laughs> with signs, um, and and that sort of thing. So, uh, I, and I've actually struggled with this. And I'll be honest. I've, uh, becoming messianic, I've struggled with what is evangelism mm-hmm. as a messianic, mm-hmm. especially as a messianic gentile, yeah, because yeah. I don't. Um, because here's the thing. When you realize the Great Commission is not to make converts, suddenly evangelism takes on a, wait, well, what am I supposed yeah. to be doing? Make disciples. Make disciples. disciples which requires relationship and which time. Which requires relationship, yep. which requires time. It requires uh, engaging on an intimate relational level. It's not... Yeah, the scripture actually says make disciples. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not it, make converts. Yeah, you that's know. what Toby just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and, which to me is like, my background, again, it's evangelizing from an evangelical perspective is very easy. You go on the street, you have a pocket full of tracts, you have a sign, someone comes up to you, they either argue with you or they talk with you, you hand them a tract, um, they may decide to declare a statement of faith then, and you lead them through the sinner's prayer and the tract uh, that you have or whatever, and then boom, they're like, okay, got one soul, done. You know, and then you move mark on to the next one. Mark that off on the... Yeah, yeah mark, check, the, mark. Be like the... Be like the... Uh, be like the... Uh, the, uh, the, the used car salesman with the checks on the board. I, yeah, I got I, three sales. I got one. And, and look, I had I we I've had preachers, pastors say that sort of thing. Like we've got to get as many in as we can, and like and then afterwards, wh- what happens to them? That I have no idea. Like well, the, you know, the, the, when I think of a tract, I, they're very con- condensed, and it's usually yeah. if you don't accept Yeshua or Jesus, you know, you're going to go to hell. And the problem with the track thing, or and especially even with the preaching, because a lot of the the street preaching is incredibly fire and brimstone. Yes. So you're scaring people into God's. Which arms. fire and brimstone is, you know, it has its place. It has its place, but you've got to love people into the kingdom of God, and we can't yeah. scare them into the kingdom of God. And that's oftentimes what happens. Yeah, yeah. Which is why. Well, I think, and that's why it's and it's and people might get onto me about this, but I I'm a disciple of Rabbi Tokajer, and I largely don't care. Um, about what people think that the I don't I never use hell when I'm telling the gospel to someone because my goal is not to get you so afraid of dying eternally, right? Which that is what you, a lot of people which are. a lot of people do. My goal is to get you to be a devoted follower of the Son yeah. of God, a devoted when, follower of the King of Peace. I, I want to share two different things. One is when in my time in between Judaism and Judaism, when when I. Became a journey. When I became you know, my wilderness journey, <laughs> when I became a follower of Yeshua, it was in a church, and our church was active in outreach in the community to the point where we would mark off sections of town and go knock on every door and invite the people there to come to our congregation to join us in doing things. So, so there is an aspect of that that was, and it wasn't. Um, 
we we're here to get you out of hell. Yeah, but we're here to invite you to join our family. Uh, we're here to if we can serve you. How can we do that? Let us introduce you to. And, and here's why we want to do this because we've had an experience with a God who changed our hearts, so that we and we want you to have that experience. The the other thing I want to open up is I think that we in the Messianic movement, because of some of the things we've talked about in in past episodes are so schismed in things. For instance, uh, Jews for Jesus and chosen peoples do what we're talking about now. Yeah. They go out to areas. They go out and talk to people. They go out and hand out invitation tracts. They do events to invite communities to do it. I don't know why we in the Messianic movement don't contact them and say, hey – I would like to invite your group to come down to Pensacola or to Daphne or to wherever and and tr- work with our people and let's do an event together. You guys already made this wheel. It's somewhat effective in leading Jewish people and non-Jewish people to Messiah. How do we incorporate that? How do we invite you to not teach us about Messiah, but how do we get you guys to come and let's – yeah, you guys are trained. You know, when when you want to have something done on your car, you go to somebody who's been through training and experience in working on a car. You don't bring that to somebody your car to somebody else. And right. and these people have experience in doing this, but because we're schismed and they're them and not us, we don't generally do that and invite them and say, "Look, we want to have an event in Pensacola. Would you from Chosen Peoples? Would you from Jews for Jesus? Would you from Ahavadami? Would you from uh, Jewish Voice that do these outreaches in other countries, other cities, other places? Would you come and?" Uh, let's spend a week where you talk to us about how to do this, and then let's set up this to, this event, this this concert, this uh, outreach at a park, this whatever for our community, and see what happens when you're using mm-hmm. tools that are already made instead of trying to make your own. I, I think that that's true, and I 100% agree with you, Rabbi Eric. This is Rabbi Toby, by the way. I'm going to lateral this over to David in a second because David and I have, and I think we've all had this discussion briefly, but I know you know David has mentioned this. Rabbi David has mentioned this. Uh, I have been in the Messianic movement. Well, I've been a believer since I was 11. I've been in the Messianic movement for 17 years. I've been a worship leader by God's grace. I've been a youth leader by God's grace, and now I'm an assistant rabbi. But I have not ministered to more people in those three positions than I have in the one that I held for 16 years, and that's as a school teacher in the public school in the marketplace, mm-hmm. in my job, I'm talking like I hear a kid talking about how, oh, my dad this or my mom this, that my parents are divorced. And I say, well, I know how you feel. It's, you know, you, you know, and without getting too personal, but the next thing you know, I'm talking to this kid about how I was a product of divorce. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I got six or seven kids sitting around me and they're and, and, and talking to them about how I don't care who's hurt you, you're still worth something. And they say, well, Mr. Manolis, what 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 helps you feel like you're still worth something? And I said, God, and God, and then I can hear the Lord say, "That's how it's done." Right. Yeah. And I think that we, as now that I'm in congregational ministry, our job is to train our congregation in in the marketplace. That's where evangelism really happens. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things to go, and I know you want to say something. But yeah. One of the things we did that's been very effective in our community that's similar but a little different is we moved our studies 
to coffee houses. Right. In other words, we do a tourist study, and we at one time were doing in, in three different places. Now we're doing one COVID shutdown, a couple of uh, uh, places for us to go. But we gather together and do a tourist study in a coffee house in a setting where other people are sitting around mm-hmm. us while we're having our discussion. And it's amazing how many conversations come out of that. We we moved our in-the-building event outside of the building right. to a public space yeah. where we're having a discussion, just like we're sitting around a table right now having a discussion on this podcast. We have those discussions about the weekly Torah portion, how it affects us and what we see in it and mm-hmm. different things in a public location where people are sitting around us yeah. and they hear what we're saying. So it's not confrontational. We're not going to them and saying, do you believe in this? Do yeah. you? But we're, we're having our real-life experience, study, sharing time mm-hmm. in a public space, and the conversations that come and the people that have, that have visited our congregation or joined into our – is it okay if I sit at the yeah. table with you and do this? Can, can I participate in this? is so not confrontational yeah. and so welcoming that it's so an take, entirely different thing. So we take that one step, possibly one step further. Um, we have Look, buddy, <laughs> we're going to a coffee house. You take it several steps further. I think our congregants need more training on how yeah. they can present the gospel yeah, yeah. in their daily life in the workplace. Agreed. Yeah. So we, we do something relatively similar uh, that we call Torah on Tap, and it's our, our men's <laughs> gathering, but we do it at the local breweries. Uh, and we've had the same, like, I, I had one lady, and then, now this is cl- completely veering off the topic for a second, but I had one lady who used to be part of the congregation that saw our email said something about Torah on Tap at this particular brewery. So she showed up early. She waited outside the brewery so that when I got there, because uh, she knew I'd be a few minutes early, when I got there, she could stop me at the door and tell me how much she disliked us doing something. Now, she wasn't part of the congregation anymore, but how horrible of an idea was. I can't believe you were doing this at a brewery and blah, 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 and all, and, and and what kind of a witness is that? I said, hang on, let me ask you something. She says, what? I said, you ever, you ever uh, sat and, and thought for a minute about whether or not people are listening to what we're talking about? If they turn their chairs around and involve in the conversation, if they interact with us, have you ever wondered about how many of these people in this room right now that are potentially potentially looking at the bottom of that mug is the only hope they have yeah. and, and, and yeah. chasing it with another one uh, that are, are now hearing us talk about the message of hope and Messiah and the lives that can be changed. Because I can tell you right now, we've had countless people physically pick their stools up, like you were just saying at the coffee shop, pick their stools up and join our conversation at the brewery just because it was something they never heard before or it was from a different perspective or it was just intriguing and they just wanted to hear. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Now, back to what Toby was talking about, like – I am a, and I think we may have talked about this uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the on one of the episodes. Also, is uh, I'm a fervent believer that in the body of Messiah, but especially in Messianic Judaism, we do a severe disservice to 99.8 percent of our, our our congregation because of the fact that when we talk about calling. We're primarily focused on vocational ministry, on uh, you know being a rabbi or a pastor, on being a missionary or a worship leader or right. a youth leader or whatever. And it's like the the vocational ministry, the congregational side, the missional side. These are when we talk about calling. This is what we're thinking about, and but that's the, evangelism. Yeah, but the reality is, is that ninety nine plus percent of our congregation, their calling has nothing to do with vocational ministry. Their calling is in the marketplace, as, as Toby was just talking about. It's in the marketplace. It's you know we have a lady 
lady uh, who's on our worship team. She's a violinist. She's on our worship. Phenomenal violinist. Uh, phenomenally gifted and talented. Yep. The the ruach, the spirit leads as she plays in a powerful mm, way. Yeah. But she also works at a Publix in the deli slicing lunch meat for people. And she has had some of the most impressive opportunities to share the, the good news of Messiah with people in a very hands-on way right there at the grocery store. People she works with, people that are customers of her, uh, et cetera, et cetera. She has these opportunities to share with people that I, as a rabbi from a pulpit, will never have the opportunity for. Right. We, have, and, yeah. we have a lady who comes to our synagogue right now who is 80-something years old. Who was a uh, naturalist? She she was not naturalist like nudist, but she was a uh, naturalist. She she worshipped nature. Right. She she yeah, wor- yeah. you know that kind of thing, and she's a messianic believer now, a very strong, committed one. Yes, she because is. of the interaction she had with a Walmart cashier who used her cashier position. To share yeah. God's love, not not to preach, but to share God's love and His Scripture with this lady. And I can't tell you the other people that have been yeah. uh, brought to exactly like you're saying. Whether you're a, a server at a restaurant, whether you work in a law office, wherever right. you are, uh, you have the opportunity to do evangelism that's yeah. as effective as anything we can do by passing out. More yeah. effective, really. Than the cold calling of tracks. Yeah, because if you're if you're meeting as someone regularly, or you are running into someone regularly, they get to know a little bit about you. Sort of like at Tor on Tap, or you know, even Holy Smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are regulars. You know, they see your character, they see your behavior, or if they, especially if they're coworkers. You know, they, they, they then they get to see you in the frustration with work. They get to see you in the frustration with management. How do, how does God's spirit move you and affect you to have patience, to have peace and grace with mm-hmm. the people around you versus you standing with a believe this or you're going to hell sign on the street yeah. because that then the 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 a human response the flesh the human response t-shirt. yeah, the human response is uh well, who are you? Who are you to right. tell me that? Yeah. You know, because let's be honest, times have changed. The largely people of faith, if you, if you just look in the news, the amount of preachers, the amount of priests, pastors that have been arrested or under investigation for abuse, both sexual and spiritual, physical, um, or who have you know done terrible things with their families, or who have taught stuff that has led to the deaths or injuries or abuse of other people. People of faith, when you just come out with statements like that, you do not do the body of Messiah any service, right? Because it just it looks it doesn't lead people to Messiah. It, it comes as a response of oh, here's more self righteous yeah. people on the street telling me that I'm going to hell when they're probably looking at pornography behind closed doors and uh, you know uh, doing things that they ought not be doing and abusing yeah. and cheating on their wives, that kind of thing. And so it and. You know, the West. I remember years ago when the Westboro mm-hmm. Baptist Church became popular. You know, sadly became popular because that really did a I'd number say more infamous than popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, what it did was it drove home this idea that you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that people who stand on the streets with signs are doing something wrong. They're not. You know, they're doing absolutely what they feel called to do, which is to preach a message of repentance, preach the message yeah, of Messiah. Yeah, or they're well-intentioned, but they're going yeah. about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And the Westboro incidents in the mid-2000s really painted that kind of thing in a bad light. And I think there is, 
you know, there's no, I, I think you can adjust your strategy and marketplace ministry, I definitely think is a much more effective right. ult- strategy. Yeah, I just, I think that that's the key. And I think that Yeshua, when we look at his pattern with his disciples, he sent them out he sent them out. He didn't say bring. He didn't say I want you to bring them to me. Which, or you know, I, you know, you always think about. Uh, I don't know if synagogues do it. I know churches have done it. And it, bring a friend day. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not saying that a person has never been invited to church during or a synagogue during a bring a friend Shabbat or Sunday, <laughs> and have have been. I'm not saying that's never happened. That they come, they get saved, and something radical happens. Yeah. But I think in general, what's the purpose of the synagogue or the church? You know. Yeah. So um, I'm going to feed back into that second question I asked earlier, which is what is the the, the role or responsibility of the congregation okay, in, in evangelism? Go. Because I think it feeds right into what we're talking about, yeah, marketplace ministry and so on. Uh, and, and I'm going to step out on a limb and say something that may make people uncomfortable, and I know that's a far-fetched All right, flag idea fest, everyone, flag fest, yeah, yeah. grenade coming. Uh, exactly. Everybody <laughs> get throw, ready to be shocked. About to throw my traditional hand grenade into the conversation. Um, I do not at all believe that the primary focus of the the local congregation should be salvational in the congregation. Now, take that back. And and what I mean by that is that we have this messed up notion, especially here in the the West. You know, we're talking about, huh? No, I'm talking about the West, like of the world. Yeah, but we're the the South of the West. Correct. We have this notion in the West, and particularly in America. The Bible Belt. We have this notion that, that... that outreach, evangelism, salvational messages are the role and the responsibility of the pastor, right? And what we've done is, and you can see this in the megachurch model. In essence, what we've done is we've taken the role of the pastor or the rabbi, which is to be a shepherd, to shepherd the flock, to care for, to protect, to nourish, to build the flock in from milk to meat, etc. Um, we've taken that role and we've relegated that individual from being the shepherd to being an evangelist or a missionary, where every Sunday or every Saturday they have to preach a salvational message. Yeah, we've made the be, shepherd the sheep. The, yeah, the, sh- the shepherd's supposed to take care of the sheep. The sheep are and, supposed to bring forth other sheep. And then what we've done from there is we've relegated the role of shepherding to small group leaders. And then we wonder why when a small group leader gets upset and splits and takes a group of people, how did they have that influence? Well, it's because they're now the shepherd of that that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've relegated the role of shepherding to small group leaders. And we've taken the role of, as you were saying, and, and this goes back to, to Rabbi Scott Sekulow, who was the first person I heard make the statement uh, of, of blessed memory that um, he was actually speaking here at an event. I can't remember what it was, but he was speaking. Oh, it was for Sukkot. It was a Sukkah fest you guys did years ago. He was speaking here and he said, said uh, one of the problems is that um, the, we have this mentality that it's the shepherd's role to make new sheep, but the Torah specifically prohibits shepherds from making new sheep. Only sheep can produce more sheep. Uh, and, and what happens is, yeah, I'll let that sink in on your yeah, own. I you can figure now. that one out. But um, I took biology in eighth grade. Yeah. I know how this works. <laughs> so what happens so you're is... you're disqualified from being a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> so what happens is, is we take this notion of outreach, evangelism, of, of leading people to to Messiah, we relegate it to what's supposed to be the shepherd, and we take the responsibility away from the individuals who the Great Commission is given to, right? The Great Commission, go and make Talmudim, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. We're supposed to, as individuals within the body, that's supposed to happen, and I believe wholeheartedly that the primary focus of the salvational work of the the evangelistic work of the outreach work should be done in the marketplace, in the workplace, in schools, yeah. in the streets, and I don't mean in the streets like 
like with people screaming at the cars like they do around here in Pensacola. But I mean, like physically, right. our friends, I our think family, that, and good. And I, and I think that the way that that happens is when we begin to, as individuals, we begin to live our lives so. Uh, so dynamically rooted in the power and presence of God in our lives that people start coming up to us like they should see God in us. This goes back to what what Jonathan was saying earlier is how many of these so 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 called great leaders like I keep thinking of all these televangelists and such um, you know the the FRC the Family Research Council that several of their big donors and leaders just a few years back with the Ashley Madison scandal got busted with their names in that hack yeah. um, that are out here telling people you know and I only bring this up because of the the political joke you made them moment ago that that are out here telling people all of this you know right-wing politics and da 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 and this is what it's supposed to be and the government's trying to destroy everything and but here they are cheating on their wife and da 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 and all this kind of stuff um the the reality is 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 and i talk about this in my book spirit and truth is that we live in what i like to call a post-truth era uh that that nobody around us believes in a finite truth anymore right so you know how many the, the me too movement i have my truth my truth my truth you tell your truth my truth is this um, and, and yet, as believers in Messiah, as believers in the Word of God, we believe that there are aspects of the Word of God that are finite truth, right? We believe in the literal, finite death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. Yeah. These are things we 100% believe in and are finite truth, but the world around us doesn't believe in finite truth anymore. And so when they look at our lives and they hear us talking about the good news, they hear us talking about Messiah, talking about relationship with God, but then they don't see our lives line up with that. It turns them off to the message. And what happens because we've relegated this this sheep-making role to the, the shepherds instead of to the sheep, and the shepherds are no longer encouraging the sheep to make new sheep. Um, and, and instead, what we've done is we've relegated that role. So now the sheep have no real responsibility for living the good news out right. in their lives anymore. And people aren't walking up to us and going – and I, you, know, you talked about restaurants. I worked in restaurants, uh, waiting tables and bartending for almost 20 years. Um, and for kicks and giggles, I'm bartending at a cigar lounge right now one, once or twice a week just for entertainment and the conversations I've had about this have been phenomenal right well it's an outreach yeah and and what's interesting is there's two rules about bartending and restaurant uh, and, and waiting tables. One is you don't talk about religion, and two is you don't talk about politics. And 99% of my conversations in the restaurant world has always been about religion. Um, and it's always because people will go, there's something different about you. Tell me what it is. I need to know more. What's what's different about you? I need to know more. Um, and, and that's the thing is we're supposed to live our lives. Our lives should be the outreach, and people right. should go, hey – I, you don't seem like you want to kill yourself. Can you tell me how that is? Because I'd really like to, and I'd like to know how not to. Can you help me find right. that out? I mean, it's a really extreme, painful way to present it. But that's the reality, and I think that we've got this notion that the local congregation's job is to do outreach, but the local congregation's job is to equip and prepare so that the right. sheep can go and produce more sheep. And I think this ties in with what Rabbi yeah. Toby was saying with the marketplace Absolutely. ministry, with what Rabbi Eric was saying and with I bringing think, in Jews for Jesus and chosen people and so on to build up how we do yeah. this. But I think that's the core answer to uh, about evangelism. To, to the you know getting back to the person who asked you know, you know the question you presented, Rabbi Eric. I just think the core answer is we have to start with the marketplace, encouraging our congregants. I think there's, there's yeah. we have to have a holistic approach to this. In other words, there's a place for knocking on doors and visiting people. Yes. And doing yeah. That. Yeah. But the primary – when we talk about things, when Yeshua was sharing – he got accused of hanging out with publicans and sinners because he was at the place as publican. Not because he was a yeah. publican and sinner, but because he was there. And then the other side of that is that uh, 
I absolutely believe in home groups and small groups, but I think we call, we're supposed to call them families. Yeah. In other words, I think that instead of having a group of people leave your congregation to go meet somewhere else to have a small group study, we should have our families, and we encourage this at our synagogue. On Friday nights, we don't have a Shabbat service. We encourage our families to have a dinner and invite friends over to their dinner yeah. where they can, in a non-confrontational non-contra- uh, yep. way, uh, enjoy why do you say these prayers why do you do this and you can share the other thing is and it goes back to the restaurants uh, as Rabbi David knows my wife worked in restaurants she was a restaurant <coughs> manager for a little while and believers have the worst reputation in restaurants because they'll come in on Sunday all dressed up in their finery they'll take a long time having dinner being very loud and uh, loud and and rowdy and their kids misbehaving and demanding. all that and demanding and then they'll leave a track on the table with a buck tip or you know a minimal or no tip, tip or no tip at all or, or one those, leave one of those stupid dollar $100 bills or whatever million dollar Shame bills as their tip for leaving those around if it's so so i started and this is something my wife and I have done for a number of years now. We have a actually in our household budget a tipping uh, budget where we go to restaurants and we uh, we're pleasant to the people, we're loving, we're kind, uh, but we excessively tip. Uh, you know, it's not unusual for us to have a $20 meal and leave a $100 tip. Uh, we've given as much as a $1,000 tip to people at restaurants at time uh, and do it as a not, – and we're not trying to buy them in, but we're trying to counter the idea. So if I'm going to, to tell somebody, look, I want to – you know, we're, we're about to pray over our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Which we do uh, at restaurants. We'll ask the server, look, we're about to pray. Is there anything we can pray with you about or pray for you about? I want to do that next step. If all you do is say, be well, be fed, be healed, but you don't do anything physically to make yeah, a difference. And, and with that, and with that, this goes back to what I said about we better live the good news yeah, out in our absolutely. lives in a very literal – like people better see the presence of God in us if we're going to talk about him. I have sat at mills in restaurants with far too many believers who will do that. They'll ask, they'll, we're about to bless our food. Is there something we can pray for you for? Yeah, you know, this or that or whatever, you know, my kids or, or, or this bill or my schooling or whatever. And then they spend the rest of the hour, hour and a half, two hours that they're in that restaurant treating that server like trash. Right. Or talking gossip and slander about other people. Or uh, you, you, you don't listen to me, people. Listen to me. Do not ask that person if you can pray for them if you're not going to continue to live the example of the gospel out the rest of the time you're in that restaurant. Yeah. Right. So these are these are things. So when we talk about it, yeah, we need to go to parks and, and talk to people and sing and do things. We need to do uh, outreaches where we're doing concerts and things where mm-hmm. we're trying to reach large numbers of people. We need to go to the grocery store and make ourselves known there or a coffee house or whatever. We need to do all those things. We need to get our families involved in inviting people over to dinner and and showing love to them. We need to be doing all of these things. We need marketplace ministry. We need to be going to coffee houses, having studies, talking to people. We need to be all of those things together. But the biggest example we need to do is actually live our faith beyond having a Bible study, beyond saying a prayer over a meal, beyond doing that. And that includes... Uh, putting our money where our mouth is. Uh, It includes saying... You know, we we had a lady and... and, uh, 
and I'm not saying this to brag, please know we fail in numerous ways daily. But we were at a Olive Garden one time, my wife and I and a couple of other people, and the server came up, and she was an amazing server. She kept our glasses full. She got our order right. She was every bit pleasant. She was, but she just looked like she was having a bad day, uh, even though she was doing service. And so at the end of the meal, I said, look, you have been a fantastic server. You've done everything above and beyond, but you just look like you're having a bad day. Is there anything we can pray about? Can we help, you know? And she said, I was supposed to go home to visit my family this week, but my brakes went out of my car, and now I have to use the money I was going to go home with to fix my brakes. So my wife and I said, well, well how much is the brakes? And she said, there's $180, whatever it was. So we gave her the $180 and, and just said, here, fix your brakes and go visit your mom. And she broke down crying. Uh, I cannot tell you the number of times we put a tip on our uh, our credit card receipt, and the person came back and said, I, I think you put the decimal point in the wrong place. They just could not believe that we were doing that. Now, I can tell you we went, we've gone back to Olive Garden numerous times after that, but we didn't go there particularly to see that person or to, to – uh, be known to be seen to be uh because that wasn't our purpose our person purpose was let us water this seed yeah so that someone else can water it more intended so that god can bring forth the increase in their life let us let us be a, a believer in a real tangible way to this person and that's and that's a phenomenal way to word that because I think we far too often have this notion that uh, if we're evangelizing or outreach or whatever, that we have to see them come to faith in Messiah right then and there, right? But the reality is is that some are some opportunities you're going to have to plant a seed, other opportunities you're going to have to water somebody else's seed that they planted, and then other opportunities you're going to get to be the one that gets to harvest the the work that somebody else's seed planting and watering has done, and you'll lead them to Mashiach. You'll lead them to Messiah. But you have to be willing and ready in season and out of season for whatever part of that process right. God places you in. And, and yeah. I can't tell you the number of times that we've tipped uh, excessively quietly. Like, we don't, like, go and hand it to the person and make a big deal of it. We put it in the, the little folder thing that they give you with your bill. We put it on the tip. And I and I've like quietly walked out and went to my car to have a server run out of the restaurant to hug my wife and I to thank us to tell us you just don't know how much this means to me. I had this come up and I didn't know how I was going to be able to pay it. I had you know and God used us. But again, we don't do this to to be boastful or brag. And most of the time, we do it without. Uh, trying to let it be known that we're doing it so our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing so much. But but those things, the love, the stopping on the road to help somebody change a tire, the the stopping at the store, the helping somebody carry groceries to their car, the, the helping somebody who, you know, their kid is uh, misbehaving at the store and they have another kid to, to go over and just stand there to make sure that they know someone's watching their child while they're, you know, all of these things that we can do that are um, loving and kind and and godly that aren't saying you're going to hell. Uh, yeah, I, that leads to a point I, I was wanting to make. I think that, you know, it, it's also, you know, going back to what, you know, David discussed with our, with our congregants, the people that come to the synagogue or come to the church, 
It, it's it's telling them what evangelism is. It's teaching them about what evangelism is because when you, when I think of the the guys that are on the sidewalks or with the megaphones and this that and the other, I see someone who even if they're well intentioned, and I think many of them are. I think that they are misunderstanding what evangelism is. Like, you know, when I think of the times Yeshua shouted, like, you know, when he, uh, you know, the rivers of living water in John chapter 7, you know, he shouted that to a bunch of people who understood the prophecy. He shouted that to a bunch of people who had some understanding. Well, and he also shouted it to people who were actively listening. Right. teaching. And when he read Isaiah 11 and said, this has been fulfilled before your eyes, these were people in the synagogue. You go out to a sidewalk, and you're going to have people who don't know the Bible from yeah. you know who don't know the Bible from a hole in their ground, and you're you're saying, "Thus saith the Lord to them." And they're like, "Well, what Lord are you talking about?" So, and and then and I think that comes from a misunderstanding of of like you know the voice crying out in the wilderness. I said, "Look, there was there's so much you have to understand about the context of Yochanan the Immerser yeah. and why he why and he the, and the who he was, why he was doing what he was doing, and like you said, and the prophets." I guess in, in some people's mind, the prophets just went somewhere and just started yelling this stuff out. Yeah. That's well, not the context. The prophets go to preach repentance. And the thing about, and we've talked about this with Jonah, but when you go to preach repentance, that means the people there already know what's right. Yeah, it's there's repentance. a content, right. You can't repent unless you have first pented, as Rabbi Eric so likes to often say. Which and, I and, say. And, and maybe that's just for another discussion just about how I think prophets are misunderstood, that they think that Isaiah just walked around and just yeah. said all 66 Touch chapters. Touch not the Lord's anointing. Yeah. You know, I've heard many pastors say that yeah. about... So all of this, to, to kind of come back to the original question that was posed by uh, a listener, um, I, I, I think, yes, you are 100% right. Messianic Judaism as a whole, congregationally, and I'll limit it to congregationally, and we'll limit it primarily to in America, or at least in the West, uh, we are not as prioritized towards outreach and evangelism as we should be. But with that said, I think the evangelical Christian influence on Messianic Judaism has caused us within Messianic Judaism to also have a flawed perspective on what evangelism and outreach actually is. Because as we've spent the last uh, 30, 40 minutes talking about, we have this notion that evangelism is handing out tracts or street preaching or going to public forums and, and, and what have you. But I would venture to say, and it would appear as though we're all relatively in agreement on this, I would venture to say that outreach has more to do with how we live our lives as disciples in the community around us so that we can make disciples of Messiah. Yeah. You know, it's it's not necessarily about – and I think and that's how we influence culture, right? Because we're supposed to be influencing culture around us. But we can't influence culture by telling culture everything they're doing wrong. We can influence culture by living our lives in the yes. right way. So that everybody around us goes, ah, there's something about you. I've had people uh, in, in the restaurants um, that would call me over to their tables, not even in my section, just somebody else's table, call me over and go, hey, are you are you Jewish? I said, yeah, yeah, I, I am. Are, are, are you Orthodox? No, I'm, I'm not Orthodox. I'm actually a, a Messianic Jew. I'm a Messianic rabbi. Oh, see, I knew there was something different about you. I could sense it. I knew. I just really felt like the Lord yeah. wanted me to talk to you, and I didn't know why. And and da da da. And open up these great conversations. Uh, but it was, and, and that's not like bragging about myself because odds are I left that table, and another guest that I had did something stupid that made me mad, and I went in the back and said right. something horrible about them. Yeah, you know. But but the because rea- we all have those flawed moments if we're all honest about yeah. it. But the reality is, is how do we live our lives? 
Yeah, and I want to say, well, um, just as a as a book, actually, that was uh, influenced me, especially in this regard, was when I was younger, and it actually because of um, the book is called Quintus, and it's produced by Veritas Press, um, and it's a book about this about per- the early persecution of Christians in Nero's Rome, and I read this book probably eighth grade, ninth grade. My parents got it for me, and. It's interesting, the interaction between the characters, one is a young Roman boy, an idolater, you know, has nothing to do with the God of Israel, knows nothing about the issue of Nazareth. He meets this other young man who um, they begin interacting, and and they live in Rome, and they begin talking, and they form a relationship, and the other young man works as a tent maker, which I think is funny because Paul was a tent maker, Um, and he basically gets him a job making tents with him for this other guy, and slowly he's introduced to this man, Yeshua of Nazareth, Um, and it is slowly... You know, brought, and, and so uh, relationally brought in to the kingdom of God and becomes a believer. But it's not like he didn't, you know, it wasn't like he was going through Rome and this young man was yelling in the streets of Rome. No, he right. actually noticed something different about this young man. And so it, and that, reading that book caused me at a very young age to question the validity and the uh, the fruitfulness, effectiveness, yeah. the effectiveness, yeah, of, of doing, you know. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you're saying that, that when you see in the scriptures, when the miraculous things took place in Yeshua's ministry, they were almost all pre, uh, pre the, precipitated a- upon something that said something like, and he looked on them with compassion. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we look on people that that don't know God with compassion, rather than looking at them as the the goal, in other words – I want that person to be part of my community. I want that person to be – when we're looking at them and saying that person needs God and have compassion, that person needs help and have compassion, that person needs food and have compassion, that person needs a home and have compassion, when when we start working that way, the most miraculous thing that can take place in a person's life is them coming to faith. Yeah. And that miracle will happen when we look on people with compassion. So with that said, we're going to uh, go ahead and wrap up our uh, episode for this week. We appreciate you joining us and listening with us. Uh, make sure to subscribe uh, to whatever your favorite platform in which you find our podcast on so that you can uh, receive notifications every time we release a new episode. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Messiantics Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messiantics Podcast.